Am I on? Am I on? I have no idea if I'm on. You're on. And the intro was playing on your computer. We're using different software today. See, this is what happens. Like, I'm just not even sure what's going on here. There we go. I don't know what you're doing. What's happening? I don't know. We're using different software, and I don't know how to use it yet. So, uh, Ooh, I can kick that from the studio. I'm going to try it and see what happens. Okay, let's try it. Oh, that didn't work very good. Oops. Well, good evening, everybody. I've accidentally kicked Carrie out of the screen, out of the show. So just give me a second. I'm going to send him a new link and we'll get him back in. Sorry, Carrie. And also, sorry, we're so late tonight. Um, it's actually my fault, believe it or not. I'm sure everyone believes it. It's actually my fault because uh, I had planned on spending a day working on some stuff around the restaurant tomorrow. Um, my picker truck was in the shop getting some work done to it. So I was thinking that I'm probably not going to be able to head down to Lethbridge, but guess what? I'm heading down to Lethbridge. I'll be leaving very, very early this morning uh, to go down and support my friends, Alex, Marco, Chris, Anthony, Tony, Chris, and the rest of the people who have been standing up for themselves and have been uh, are being persecuted by the government. Anyway, it looks like Carrie is back. My apologies back. for kicking you out of the stream, Carrie. Why did you do that? Well, I was trying to remove the screen share thing, <laughs> so it couldn't accidentally play anymore, but it kicked you out instead. Well, that's okay. It's all right. I, and I got a lot of heat. You should have seen it. The comments went crazy. They said that uh, I was getting death threats because you were off the show. That's and, typical. Wow. I could yeah. see that. Yeah. So we better not do that again. So you know what's going on tonight, Carrie? Tell me. Tell me what's going on. Uh, we have a special guest tonight. His name is Leighton Gray. Leighton Gray. Yeah. I think I've heard of that name before. And Leighton has some fairly significant news. You know how at the last few um, events and, and things I've been speaking at, I've been I've mentioned that we really haven't seen any of the COVID stuff go through court and um, win. I remember on the side of freedom yeah. on the merits of the case. I mean, there's been lots of stuff where stuff has been kicked out of court. Judges are saying, hey, you know, you're self-representing yourself. I'm going to show you some mercy and compassion. Just get out of my court. Don't do it again. That kind of thing. Yeah. Technical things, not enough evidence, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Tickets, now, while, yeah, thrown. Yeah, yeah, tickets. While those are wins for the person who is involved with facing a ticket, it's yeah. not a win for the movement in itself because a technicality or a, a something like that, it kind of, I mean, it, it, they're not even arguing the details of the, of the case, right? That's right. So anyway, um, I was talking to Leighton this afternoon, and he's got some very, fairly significant news. So I figured, why not bring him on the show tonight and have him explain it? Because uh, I don't want to botch all the legal mumbo jumbo that he's so well versed in. That sounds awesome! I'm so excited. So, everybody, please welcome to the show, Mr. Leighton Gray, and he is, yes, actually in a full-size, life-size version of the 19, <laughs> early '90s video game Rampage, in which he's playing the lawyer. He was uh, pulling the uh, defense clients out of the windows and eating them. I like it. That's a good analogy. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite games as a kid. So, Leighton, thanks for joining us. Uh, sorry we had to make it so late. I guess you're out in Drayton Valley doing your thing and uh, doing uh, yeah. some hockey stuff, are you? Yeah, it's a good awesome. it's a good night for mumbo jumbo. Right on, right on. Well, we don't understand it, but uh, we're happy that you share it with us. <laughs> So, so where do you want to start? 
Well, probably the very beginning. I think it's a very good place to start. Okay. Um, no, let's not start at the beginning because this is a really long conversation. It's a three-year conversation yeah. already, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. There's um, a case that happened in uh, provincial court that I can talk about. And then there's some big stuff happening in the court of King's Bench now yes. uh, with the with the Ingram case and the CM case. So, I, and, they, wow. and it's all connected. So okay. what what's the... I know what it is, but let's back up a second. What is the Ingram case? Who is uh, Ingram? The Ingram case is the case where we cross-examined Dr. Hinshaw. That's the one. That's the big uh, one that that many, many COVID cases, including some that involve a certain host of a certain show, <laughs> this one, uh, it, you know, are, are affected by. Um, and uh, so that's, that is in the court of King's Bench. That's in the high court almost all the COVID tickets are in, uh, are in provincial court. Um, but there's another case that was, that was argued uh, called uh, CM. Um, that's C period, M period, because the names involved children. So it was to protect the, their identities. And, and it, had a, it has it had a significant effect upon all of these cases. So let me know where you want me to start. Okay, so let's have a quick recap. So Ingram was uh, Re Rebecca Ingram. In particular, right, yes, yes. Uh, she is a gym owner in Calgary, correct? Right. Yes. And she had a enough is enough moment. She stood up and said, "No, we're not doing mm -hmm. this. We're not uh, doing this the ridiculous discrimination crap. We're not going to force masks on people that are trying to actually do something for their health." She took a stand and she was fined, correct? Yes. And that's turned yes. into kind of the that's kind of like the landmark COVID ticket case in Alberta right now, right? It is, and it's going to be the biggest one in Canada. Um, wow. Ms. Ingram, Ms. Ingram is um, represented very ably by my friend Jeff Rath. Uh, I represent some churches who are involved in in the same case, um, but our our complaint is about uh, infringement of religious freedoms. Uh, Ms. Ingram is complaining about interference with her right to life, liberty, security of the person because her business was closed. So I'm, I was hired by the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, and I represent these churches who are claiming that, uh, you know, violation of religious freedom, which, of course, applies to many, many Albertans. So that's one part of the case. So there's the, the charter violations, but then there's the other thing that we claimed, and that is that Dr. Hinshaw exceeded her authority as the Chief Medical Officer of Health in the way that she made these decisions. And that's the key, that's gonna become the key feature of the case. Little and you know, very, uh, n not nearly as smart as you people, like me, have been saying from the very beginning, as a matter of I fact- can't, I can't cook like you, Chris, so I mean- Well, you know. we've, we've all got our strengths and weaknesses, <laughs> I suppose. Right? You, yeah. you argue in front of the judge and I'll cook. How's that sound? Okay. So, um, I, I said right at the, almost the beginning and right in Dave Brown's face when he was, after he put the chain on my door, I said, what authority do you have to do this to me? Under what authority? You don't have the authority to do this to me. And he turned to me and he looked me in the eye and he said, I have all the authority. Yeah. And I was like, oh, violence is not the answer. Also, he's kind of built like a brick shithouse, but that's beside <laughs> the point. Um, no, I, I don't, I don't believe in violence, but I was certainly angry at it. He said he had all the authority and HS has all the authority and Hinshaw has the authority. And I just have to sit there with my, in my hand and take it, you know? So now 
you've actually like it's you've you you explained to me how we were right about this. They did yes. exceed their authority, and now yes. it's on the record. I believe they broke they broke the law. That's what happened. Wow. So let's hear it. How how did that come about? Well, do you want to talk about that case first, or the Timothy Stevens trial? Which where do you where would you like that, me to start? That's timely, so we could talk about that. I think. Yeah, okay. yeah, Timothy Stevens for sure, because that's a. I mean, that's huge, and that's congratulations yeah. on that one. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so um, as as Chris alluded to in the in the uh, top of the show, we haven't had a lot of uh, results like this that are wins in you know anti you know in when we're challenging COVID tickets. Um, and so for the people who will remember, hopefully they'll remember, uh, there were really three pastors in Alberta who have been persecuted and jailed. Uh, I've represented two of them. One is, of course, Pastor Coates, um, and, and uh, he's in Stony Plain. Of course, you recall his church was triple barricaded and turned into an RCP barracks for months. It was this the huge black eye for Alberta and Canada that I think turned many Albertans against uh, Premier Kenny. And, uh, and, and then, of course, Timothy, Timothy Stevens, uh, my client, uh, is uh, actually a friend of Pastor Coates, and he's in Calgary. And he, he, was the, he is the, the, um, the pastor of Fairview Baptist Church. And your viewers might remember this just heart-wrenching video of the Calgary police uh, going to, to Pastor Stevens' home on a beautiful June day and, and pastor Stevens and his wife, Rachel, they have six beautiful children and, and they're mostly they're, they're young kids. Okay. They're, they're, I don't think any of them are out of you know, what they're all, this might be in middle school. Okay. And the Calgary police go in there and pastor Stevens conducted himself with such dignity. He went along quietly, but you have these screaming kids, daddy, daddy, where daddy, please don't go. And, and as they, as they put him in the police car. I mean, it was it was every bit as as awful, maybe worse than seeing poor Pastor Pulaski drag down the, you know, yeah, drag down the highway. And and so just uh, just a terrible video. I don't know if you guys can find that video and show it, but yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna bring it up yeah. right now, actually. And you, you got to warn people like this is just heart wrenching to watch. And I'll just preface it by saying the awful crime that he was being arrested for was. That he violated the infamous, the notorious Whistle Stop Cafe injunction. Yes. Yeah. By conducting an outdoor church service, conducted an outdoor church service, and for that, that he was arrested in front of his children, who will never ever forget this day. Okay, and uh, here it is, folks. If you haven't seen it before, uh, this is courtesy of our friend Adam Seuss and Rebel News, because uh, they've been there yeah. at almost every single one of these yeah. things. Adam's great. Yeah, Adam's terrific. Yeah, he's really the good. entire time. So let me see if I can find it here. I believe it's this one. No, that's not it. Different tab. I'll get it right. Just one second. He's lining up a whole bunch of stuff. Tab. Tab. Tab used to be a, a delicious diet-free cola. You just really dated yourself there. Uh, I know. Isn't that terrible? Back That's okay. I remember. Uh, do you remember? Uh, what was it? Pepsi Jolt. clear Jolt. or whatever? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Jolt Cola. I remember that one. Oh, yeah. that was gross. <laughs> Jolt. We had Jolt Cola before we had like Red Bull and all these energy drinks. Right? Yeah. 
Oh, I so see what I I've can... done here. Just just one second. I what sure. I've done is I've actually put it in a uh, Windows Live Edge tab, but it won't it won't no sound will come through with that. So okay. just give I me can, another moment here. I'll yeah, get it up. For you. I can I can blather on while you're getting that ready. So so what happens is he's dragged off to off to jail and he gets a series of charges, COVID tickets. Uh, one of them was a contempt uh, charge, which I think our, our friend Mr. Scott also faced for violating this whistle-stop injunction, mm-hmm. which applied to every man, woman, child in, in Alberta, which is just heinous. I can't, I still can't believe that that, that order was ever granted. Uh, by, by the way, Chris, uh, did you send uh, Justice Rook a note on his retirement? No, I didn't, and that's <laughs> something I've actually been Maybe wanting to do for a while. But... Of, box of exploding chocolates, maybe? <laughs> Anyway, um, so but Pastor, Pastor Stevens, like Pastor Coates, um, he was granted bail, but conditional upon his his uh, promise to follow the the terms of the whistle stop injunction, and and one of which for him was that um, he could not preach to his congregation under any circumstances. He could not hold church services. And because he he could not comply with that, that that would be a violation of his faith as a, as a Christian pastor. He actually chose to stay at the at the Calgary Remand Center. If you can imagine, with six children at home, and I remember talking and to I, his wife Rachel, and she's such a brave lady, but just like trying to deal with six young kids at home, and they didn't know if he was going to get out. And then finally, it was on Canada Day, July first, of course, yeah. the famous Kenny stampede amnesty was declared yeah. and at that point uh the order was not in effect anymore those conditions were not in effect anymore and tim could be released but if it weren't for that he would have spent the whole summer you know in in in, in jail uh so anyway do you have this do you have yeah the, I've, okay. I've got it up here and i'm just i just want to yeah. say um to everybody i i have a lot of respect for tim for doing that because that's the only regret I have throughout this whole thing is signing those stupid bail conditions. Um, I wish I never did that and I'll never do it again, but uh, it is what it is. But men like uh, Tim and uh, James Coates, they didn't sign those and they paid a price for it, but they can say they didn't sign it. Anyway, here's uh, uh, Pastor Tim Stevens being arrested uh, courtesy of our friends over at Rebel News. I'm so here for Rebel News, and I'm outside of the home of Pastor Tim Stevens. Pastor Tim was once again taken into custody. Numerous police vehicles arrived and put him in a car, taking him away from his families. It was an extremely emotional and harrowing ordeal, and we were there to capture it as it happened. I'm going to let you go now to the footage of his arrest. Okay, and you had that gathering on June the 6th. Yep. Okay, so that's what you're under arrest for. <laughs> Any avenues for you guys to to question orders? Or you always no other jurisdiction is a personal pastor. I'm not going to speak to that. I would say continue the course that you're continuing on. Push further ahead, push harder if you need to. 
and that, that's how much harder can we push here? I, I, I don't know how much harder. So you are asking me what you want to do? I have no reason to arrest you, right? So I'm going to leave it at that, okay? Bye, Daddy. Bye, guys. <laughs> I watch this stuff again, and it's just like watching Convoy Inquiry again, and it just, I get so you pissed sure, off. Just gross. Oh, man. So, just to understand what was happening there, okay, he's arrested for having an outdoor church service, okay? Yeah. At the time that that happened, the Alberta government knew, they knew that there was not a single authoritative scientific study in existence, and there still is not, no. supporting the risk of getting COVID outside. So they knew that, and they arrested him anyway. And it's important to understand why he was arrested. He was arrested because they were making an example of him. They were showing everyone, don't you dare disobey us. This was about power yeah. and intimidation and control. Yep. That's what this was about. It was about in the words, having everyone under their thumb. In the words of Minister Madhu, uh, the UCP minister of, what is he minister of right now? It's well, he's, our deputy, he's, our, he's our deputy premier. Oh, he's now. the deputy premier. Yeah. yeah, he was the minister of justice, and then he was a minister of something, and now he's a deputy yeah. premier. In yeah. his own words, this was never about health. It was about government control. Yeah. Yes, but that same minister, Nadu, was the justice minister at the time that mm -hmm. that video we just watched was recorded. Yeah. And he did nothing, as far as I know. Well, you know, we were just following the orders. But, you know, and and that that so so you know coming into you know Tim Stevens' trial, um, I have to tell you, I can tell you now, he got offered some really sweet deals, boy oh boy, and they that you know, we were able to negotiate, and I I should say that the lead counsel on this was from our firm, was a wonderful lawyer named Stephen Whitehead who works in our Calgary office, and uh, but uh, we worked together on this and and collaborated, but. He was the main guy who went to court and did the trial. But Stephen was able to negotiate uh, withdrawal of all the tickets except for two, and including uh, the criminal code charge. He was actually charged with a criminal code offense of contempt of court, you know, for having the outdoor church service. So anyway, we had the Stephen went to court with uh, with Tim Stevens uh, about uh, a month or so ago in Calgary, and uh, so they had the trial. And it was in front of a very of an excellent, experienced uh, Calgary Provincial Court judge named Fratchen. And uh, the, tic the, the tickets that he was facing basically were, um, they charged that uh, that you know Tim Stevens was responsible for enforcing uh, masking and social distancing restrictions in the church, and it made him responsible for making sure that everybody in the church was 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 doing this and. The court quite correctly found that uh, first of all there was there was no evidence that Tim Stevens uh, did that, 
and uh, and 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 the decision also impliedly stated that um, he was under no duty. I mean, to to be a government agent to enforce these COVID lockdowns. So what's significant about this is um, the court said first firstly that it wasn't going to just take notice of the fact that there was something called a pandemic, and it it's the first court decision that talked about the pandemic in some degree of skeptical terms. And it also talked about the the pandemic as being in the past tense, which is very, which is key. Mm -hmm. Because in the past, Chris knows this, every single time we've gone to court, the judge says, on the 6th of March, 2020, the World Health Organization declared a worldwide yeah. pandemic and the government of Canada, government of Alberta, took reasonable steps by imposing blah, 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 blah. And, and, and so automatically, you know, if you're going in there to challenge these things, you're the visiting team. You're not on home ice. And, and we, you're, we were basically put in a position to prove a negative, right? We, we have to disprove the existence of a pandemic. Of course, there never was a pandemic. The whole thing was a hoax. It's a, it's a terrible hoax that has been played on humanity by some really evil people. But uh, but it's a it's a great decision because it, it, uh, the judge basically says, look, um, we still have law, we still decide legal cases based upon facts and law, and I'm going to apply the relevant facts, the relevant law, and on doing that, guess what, the government of Alberta, you don't have a case, and I'm going to tell you how squirrely this trial got. <laughs> at at one point. Uh, the judge said to the crown you know you can't prosecute somebody just because you don't like them <laughs> really that. oh yeah and and there was another one at, at one point uh the, the crown prosecutor i won't i won't say his name um he asked he he said to pastor stevens that he put it to him you that you uh you disagree with gay marriage <laughs> so of course uh you know his defense call, Stephen, to, to, uh, 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 Stephen Whitehead, he jumped up and objected and said, you know, this is pretty far afield, Your Honor. This yeah. is irrelevant. But but basically what the governor of Alberta tried to do to Timothy Stevens is the same thing he, they tried to do to Chris Scott and Pastor Coates and everybody who's gone to court, Arthur Pulowski, yeah. uh, basically to paint them out as these evil villains who are, you know, spreading COVID and lies and uh, basically are a threat to humanity. And, and, uh, and so the same attitude, this is the really horrifying thing. You would hope, you would think that the government of Alberta and their lawyers, you know, in the past year and a half, you know, since Timothy Stevens was arrested there, you know, in light of, you know, the Pfizer dump and and the, the vaccine that you know the vaccines don't work and they're killing people and we know all these things we know so much more we can see sort of the lockdowns in the rearview mirror thank goodness but do you think that the Alberta government lawyers like the crown had learned anything no to them when they went to court with timothy with with you know uh um, tim stevens in the trial we were frozen in time right in the middle of, of lockdowns and they yeah. wanted to prosecute and convict him based upon a certain view a phony view of reality that existed back in june of 2021 and and uh it this is not prosecution it's persecution so the, it's it's, a, it's an important decision in that respect because as chris put it's the first case i can think of where we actually won on the facts anyway sorry go ahead two things i just want to mention before i forget um apparently layton 
uh, somebody thinks you're a coward because you're not using the Bill of Rights. And I've heard this idiotic statement so many times. I'll give you a chance to have a rebuttal to that, um, to those people who are saying that. But before that, I want to point out that the government is in a very precarious situation here because what you've mentioned here, all of these things that have come out, the facts that have come out, the statistics, the data, the evidence yeah. has given them multiple opportunities for graceful exits out of this madness in which they could be the ones that led the people of Alberta out of the COVID BS and yeah. they're the ones that stood up. They've had all these opportunities throughout this whole thing and they haven't done it. And I've often asked myself why. And then I realized if they did that, then they'd have to admit that what they've done to me and Art and James and Tim and all of these folks was yeah. all for naught. And we were right in the first place. Yeah. So they're stuck between a moral obligation to be leaders to the people of Alberta and uh, um, an egocentric situation where you know, they 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 have to save face in some matter. This and it's politics. It's pure unabridged politics, and it's actually costing people lives. Which, yeah. I mean, it's it's insane. So I I um, think if it was about you know uh, about spreading COVID or anything like that, just imagine, Chris, you had you know a thousand people on that dreaded day of May eighth, but yet they only arrested you. We were there, right? And and all of these things all had multiple people like uh, at Pastor Stevens and uh, at uh, uh, Pastor Art's place, like they could have just rounded up everybody, gave them all tickets and done all that, but it probably was too much work, number one. So they just picked a few just to say, yeah, this is, this is how we're, yep. we're taking care of business. And what I've found out today, some of the uh, uh, facts that have been turned over to my legal counsel, mm. um, you're right on par with that, Carrie. This wasn't about health. This was about trying to save face yeah. and destroying those who had the audacity or the balls to speak out against what was going on. That's what it's about. And the funny thing about them trying to do that to me is I don't really give a shit because I've had nothing before. I'm fine in low places. I have friends in low places. There's one right there. He's in his basement. That's pretty low. So, you know, they can do all those things to me and take my business and take my livelihood and all that crap away. And I really don't care. I'll go move to a tropical country and, and live on the beach and eat coconuts for the rest of my life. Although don't do that because coconuts, as I found out in, Me in Mexico, are a uh, laxative. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. So you're, you're absolutely right, uh, Carrie. And Leighton, do you want to comment on that? Why do the lawyers never use the Bill of Rights? I've actually been accused of being controlled opposition and a global elitist because I'm using the charter and I'm putting every Canadian at risk because they should be using the Bill of Rights. Do you want to just have a quick comment on that or is it, sure. is it worth commenting on? Sure, absolutely. Uh, firstly, you know, if someone wants to call me a, a coward, you know, have, have at it, that's fine. Um, it doesn't bother me. What bothers me is when people call uh, my clients, the people who are sticking their necks out and putting their their liberty on the line and their livelihoods on the line, when they call them cowards, you know, that that really bothers me uh, because I have a lot of respect for people like Chris and others and Tim Stevens who actually, you know, have put things on the line. And, and believe you me, anybody listening to this, if you don't know that these restrictions are gone, because of people like uh, Chris Scott and Tim Stevens and James Coates and Arthur Bobloski, 
and others, then you're really not paying attention. Because if it hadn't been for them, we would we we would still be in lockdown. And and I would include in 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 that also all the wonderful people who participated in the Freedom Convoy, the Truckers Convoy. Okay, coming to the Bill of Rights. First of all, it's not true that we're not claiming the Bill of Rights. Actually, we've argued the Bill of Rights in the Ingr in the Ingram case. Now, there's a misunderstanding about the Bill of Rights, and this is what it is. Okay, the Bill of Rights is a federal statute. Okay, it was passed by the John B. D. Fermaker uh, government back in the late 1950s. Uh, but but the the Bill of Rights is not a constitutional document. So if Justin Trudeau and uh, Mr. Singh went into Parliament, uh, you know, during the next sitting, and they decided that they were going to repeal the Bill of Rights, it would be gone. Okay, it's not a constitutional document. It's just a federal statute. It could be changed, it could be amended, it could be repealed and done away with at any time. So uh, it, now that doesn't mean it's irrelevant. It doesn't mean it's not law. It is part of the law of Canada. But the distinction between that and the Charter is that the Charter is a constitutional document. It's part of the supreme law of the land. And until very recently, we didn't have governments creating laws that offended the Charter because they knew that the courts would not uphold them. Now, so what people are doing when they're criticizing and they're talking about, uh, you know, you should be using the Bill of Rights instead of the Charter, the first mistake they're making is they're treating the Bill of Rights and the Charter as something that are the, the, the things that are equivalent in law, and they're not. One is a constitutional document; it's enshrined. The other is isn't. So that's an important first distinction. Secondly, what's unique about about the Charter is that it has built within it the the the, the power. It grants courts the power to strike down. Uh, legislation, strike down orders if they violate the Constitution. Uh, the Bill of Rights does, does not have that feature. There's no law in Canada that was ever struck down uh, because of the bill, because it offended the Bill of Rights. That's never happened. It's never going to happen. Um, so that that's a problem. The third problem with what people are doing is they're applying the benefit of hindsight. So lawyers like us, when, when we started to take these cases to court, when we filed them, we sued them, we didn't know, we had no idea, and we could not have known the attitude that the courts would take towards the charter. Mm -hmm. uh, listen, Brian Peckford wrote parts of the charter, wrote parts of the charter. He wrote section one. He wrote se section seven. He wrote parts of section 15 of the charter. He was there. He's the last living signatory to that chart he's one of the people who created it mm -hmm. okay if, if brian if brian peckford is arguing the charter and not the bill of rights okay think about that for a moment is he a dummy so so when he went to court and he was astonished he was horrified to find out recently uh his case uh the court threw it out because it said that the whole question was moot it wouldn't even they wouldn't even determine the issue whether or not his charter rights were violated but folks need to understand you know it's not as though we have a, a time machine there's not a way back machine we can move forward and move back and we know what courts are going to do with these things mm. um we're not perfect we're just lawyers okay we use you know is your plumber perfect is your electrician perfect is your doctor perfect is your dentist perfect 
you know, um, we're out there and we're using the tools that we have that we think are the best tools to achieve our clients' aims at certain times. And that's what we do. Um, it's not as though the Bill of Rights is irrelevant. It isn't. It's, it's a federal statute that, uh, that purports to um, recognize certain rights in Canadian law that actually people have had for centuries. Uh, the Bill of Rights doesn't, that's, that's a fourth point actually, the Bill of Rights doesn't create any new rights. It was simply a statutory recognition that Canadians have certain rights, okay? Whereas the Charter actually set up a, uh, a, 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 a set of, of, of laws, a constitutional, a constitutional structure whereby laws could be challenged. And by the way, if you've done your legal research, you'll know that over the past 40 years, uh, many, many thousands of laws have been struck down using the charter. Mm -hmm. I've done, I'm, and, and I've used the charter hundreds of times in criminal court to get evidence excluded. So the charter up until very recently has been highly effective at protecting uh, individual rights and freedoms in Canada. So um, unfortunately, this, unfortunately, this is an example of a little, of a little bit of knowledge is a, is a dangerous thing. So people go and they Google about Bill of Rights and they look it up and they don't understand these important legal distinctions. Yeah. But, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know any lawyers in Canada. I don't know of a single one who's doing these cases that is arguing the Bill of Rights in preference to the Charter. I don't know anyone who's doing that. I don't know why you would. Um, well, uh, you know, normally I would ban people that are doing this kind of thing from from the live stream. But. I'm going to leave them because I think I'm just going to start letting people um, just continue to spew their nonsense so that people can see how ridiculous it is. I'm actually, I'm, I'm getting tired of it, but uh, our friend Lexi asked us, actually, she said, it's getting close to her bedtime or past her bedtime. What's the good news. Now we've, we've mentioned some of it a little earlier yeah. and this ties right into what you just said and how you're arguing these cases. So what okay. is the bombshell big news? Here it comes folks. Here's the moment you've been waiting for. Okay, so I have to set this up. There's a bit of a backstory. Okay, um, so this this will take a little bit of a little bit to explain. Uh, but it's worth uh, staying up for. I was I was able to I was able to explain it to to Chris. So that's promising. <laughs> just just kidding. So so okay. There's a there's a gentleman, uh, and he is a gentleman named Dave Redman, and he is a hero. He's yeah. he is a Canadian hero. Lieutenant Colonel Dave Redman, he has served in multiple theaters of war, uh, Kosovo, Afghanistan, all over the world. And uh, he, after he retired from the military, he performed a great service for the province of Alberta. And that is he worked with premiers uh, like Klein uh, and others who, and, and Dave's job was he would design emergency response plans for Alberta. And he's a world-renowned expert. He's done it in every province in Canada. He's done it around the world. So before Dave retired in 2014, he actually created an emergency response plan, a pandemic response plan for Alberta. It was all there. It was all wrapped up in a nice, tight, beautiful bow. I've seen it. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's exactly what we should have done. So flash forward to 2020, and we have this, this emergency that's declared. And the government of Alberta has this plan. It's only a few years old. It's perfectly good. Okay. Uh, but they don't use it. 
And, and the reason why they didn't use it is because Dave's plan called for something called a, a, uh, a, a public emergency. Not a public health emergency, a public emergency. Under a public emergency, what happens is you declare a, a, a broad state of emergency. For example, it was, it was done during the, during the flood in 2013 or when we had the fires in exactly. Fort McMurray. Okay. And what you, under the, the public emergency, what you do is you get, have a multidisciplinary response. So you have, you know, firefighters, police, economists, lawyers, doctors, all get together, work together and form and work together to execute a plan, a public emergency plan. And the other important thing about the public emergency is that the public emergency plan called for accountability so that the people executing the plan have to report back to the premier and cabinet and to the legislature. And so by implication to Albertans, and that's what happens in a public emergency. When the COVID-19 pandemic was declared, the government of Alberta did not declare a public emergency. They instead did something that was quite unprecedented. They used a certain section of, of the public health act section 29 to declare a public health emergency. Mm -hmm. Dave Redman testified in the Ingram case that the reason why they did that is because under the Public Health Act, it's basically, it, it grants the Chief Medical Officer of Health basically dictatorial power. They She's, have all the authority. That's right. They, have, they are not, not responsible to cabinet. They're not responsible to the premier. Then they don't have to report to the legislature. They have autocratic power to make laws in order to deal with the public health emergencies. But here's the problem. Dina Hinchel went out and made all these orders. Okay. Um, but it became clear when we were doing the Ingram, Ingram trial that in fact, this was a fiction, or at least it turned out to be, according to Dr. Hinshaw, a fiction. Because when I was cross-examining uh, Dr. Hinshaw, and I started questioning about these orders and asking her if they were her orders. She said that they, they, although they were her orders that she signed them, actually, she was just a messenger that she had been going to the premier and the cabinet and that they were giving her instructions about what to put into the order. Wow. And, and every single one of the orders. Okay. And, and, uh, when, when we, when we realized what was going on, both myself and Jeff Rath, we, we pounced on this and we pushed it to the point where we asked uh, her what the substance of those conversations were. In other words, what did you say to the premier? Did you tell them, did you advise them to remove restrictions, to loosen them or strengthen them? And uh, the government lawyers jumped up and said, whoa, 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 cabinet privilege. You can't ask them that. So nope. flash forward. So what happened? So we, we all know about the lockdown orders. In February of this year, Dr. Hinshaw made another health order. Okay. And only this time she removed the requirement of masking in schools. Mm -hmm. Well, the NDP and the lefty crowd got really upset about this and they got together. And uh, I think there was a teacher's union involved. And what they did is they brought a challenge to this. Only they challenged, they said, that they sued the government of Alberta for removing the masking restrictions, if you can believe this. And they claimed that the removal of the masking restriction posed a, a serious risk to the health and safety of the children 
at the school. But they also picked up on what happened in Ingram. And they argued, as we did in Ingram, that Dr. Hinshaw was acting outside of her authority under the Public Health Act. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me explain why this is important. We talked about the public emergency versus public health act emergency. Under the public health act, there's a reason why the chief medical officer of health does not report to the premier and cabinet. It's because they're not doctors. They're not mm -hmm. medical experts. They can provide no input, no worthwhile input about a public health emergency. Okay. This is a very specialized area and the public health emergency is for a very specific purpose. It's for situations where, for example, you have uh, in an outbreak in, in town, you have, you have something in the water, the water's poisoned, or you're dealing with, uh, you know, a rabid dog or something of that nature. And in the past, public health emergencies have been declared, but they've been declared to deal with very specific local health concerns. Well, the judge in this, in this case was called CM. He came back and said, firstly, that there's no evidence that the removal of the masking uh, restriction posed any health risk to the safety of children. There was no evidence. Okay. But more importantly, he said this, that Dr. Hinshaw did something that was unreasonable, that she, she acted outside of her, her authority under the public health act by going to the premier and cabinet for instructions. Mm -hmm. And there was even in that case, there was evidence that she gave a PowerPoint presentation to the premier and cabinet, and then they had three options, right? It was uh, it was like you know Goldilocks and the three bears. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, get rid of all restrictions right now. You know, let it rip, as it were, uh, a a middle response, or stay locked down. And we all know what they did. They did this graduated response. Yeah. She took the instructions uh, of premier and cabinet, and and on the basis of that. That, that political decision, not a medical one, political decision, and she and she made her order based upon that political decision. And Justice Dunlop, I've read his decision now several times, and I think he made the correct determination that that order to remove masking the schools because of the way she did it is illegal. Now, here's the kicker. The Ingram case is still going on. If that order was illegal, that means because Dr. Hinshaw testified in the Ingram case that in relation to all the orders that locked us down, she was doing the exact same thing. That means that every single one of those orders is also illegal. Wow. And you have her on the record saying that that's the way that went. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what happened. All the COO orders. Yeah. And so what we did, what Jeff Rath and I did is we, we picked out some of the prized pieces of testimony from Dr. Hinshaw. Yeah. And we sent a brief legal uh, letter, a letter to the court saying, look, we think based upon what this other judge has said, that that, that Ingram has to be decided in our favor. Um, and and so um, we asked her for the opportunity to make further submission on the point. This was a bit of this is a bit of a weather balloon. We thought maybe she was going to shoot us down in flames. We thought that the government lawyers would get really excited and not allow us to do it. Guess what? Neither one of those things happened. Hmm. So the AG lawyers didn't really didn't make a peep. They had no problem with it. And Justice Romaine, who's the judge who's deciding our case, she invited us to make submissions. So um, we're going to make written submissions 
She gave us three days to do it. And what we're going to argue is that uh, she must decide, she must find that every single one of uh, uh, the, of Hinshaw's orders were illegal on the basis of this of this analysis of this other judge. And, and, uh, and so this is really huge because uh, what that means, there, there, are, there are many, many COVID cases still in the courts, mm-hmm. <laughs> including one involving our, our lovely host. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all sort of hinging uh, on what's going to happen in Ingram. So it's like it's like it's like a Jenga, right? The, the Ingram case is like the Jenga piece at the bottom, and it's all going to fall wow. because all these other cases. If if those orders are illegal, that means every single one of those COVID tickets is illegal. So you know the province, you know the new premier, she doesn't even have to declare an amnesty. This thing just falls apart. But it creates a very interesting question: If every single one of those COVID orders was illegal. What about all the people that went to jail? What about all the fines they paid? Right? Businesses lost. Yes. Health issues. You you name the whole. Huge, huge, huge. So that's the big news. The big news is we think, we think that, we we think, I don't want to overstate it, but we're pretty sure that we won. But we don't see how she could decide it, you know, differently. Oh my goodness, Leighton. David Dixon's back on. Uh oh, is he the guy who hates me? I think he hates everybody. Okay, I'll check out what he said later. It's pretty long. Okay. So we said in the beginning it was illegal. We stood up for ourselves in the face of the government doing illegal things to us. That was not about health. Was not backed by science, and it was purely political. Political, pardon me. Um, we were persecuted for it. And as I've found out today, more than just persecuted for it under the legal mechanisms that our government and agencies like AHS has, but I'm talking collusion, conspiracy, not conspiracy theory, but actual conspiracy um, to destroy people like me because I can't be stopped. And now what you're saying is you've, we see this ruling and you've tied it to an existing one that's showing that, yes, this was illegal. The government didn't have the authority. They did it wrong. They should have listened back then. And worse than even like people like me and Carrie and, and, and Marla and Deb and Shar, who actually passed away a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Sorry to hear about that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were wrong to do what they did to us. Mm-hmm. And while they're doing that to us and being political and worrying about their egos and how they can uh, stop from looking so bad in the public eye, people have been dying. This is so much worse than we ever anticipated it was. I thought it was just the government's overreaching and they're hurting our businesses. It's way worse than that. They've destroyed lives, destroyed families, destroyed businesses, damn near destroyed the province, divided the country, thrown people in jail, um, killed people's confidence in government. Like they have done so much damage and we're right on the cusp of this coming out. Yeah. So Leighton, here's a question too. So obviously this happened in Alberta and I'm not sure if you can comment on what do you, do you think that this actually happened in each of the provinces? I suspect I, I don't. I'm not quite sure if this is the same situation that happened in Manitoba. Yeah. Um, 
but I believe it is. I believe that it was that because if if a public emergency were declared, and this is the important distinction, under a public health emergency, what exists there that does not exist in a public health emergency is accountability. Mm-hmm. So, for example, let's imagine, let's go back to March of 2020 in Alberta. Let's say that the government of Alberta followed the Dave Redmond plan as they should have. Yeah. What they would have had to do is come back after 90 days and they would have had to report, they would have to, would have, would have had to issue a public report to the legislature and to Albertans and probably had a press conference to report to us about how things are going. Yeah. And they would have had to justify uh, whatever restrictions were were imposed, right? And and there, there would they would have had to produce evidence in support of that. Yeah. See, be, that that's why they declared the public health emergency. And and the other thing that I that I neglected to mention, but I believe I meant I mentioned it the last time I was on the program. They not only declared the public health emergency, but a, after the pandemic was declared. The governor of Alberta went in and they beefed up and they strengthened her powers mm-hmm. uh, so that they, 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 she, she has, she has, well, she had, and she still has, well, actually she doesn't now because they haven't made it known publicly, but she's, she's removed. Um, she had the ability, the power to do, to use any means necessary to, to fight the pandemic, any means necessary. Do you know what that means? anything i'm 30 years a lawyer i don't know what that means yeah but that scares the living bejesus out of me well up to including and even more so than seizing your home or your business and turning it into a makeshift medical clinic seizing your vehicle seizing your property seizing your back bank accounts freezing your assets incarcerating you anything yep really bad this is just it's bad bad stuff and it's just the beginning tyranny yeah, it's just the beginning. I mean, we're not even getting into the vaccines. The vaccines were not even part of the Ingram case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't even started on the vaccines. Like that is the, you know, that's yeah. the and next this, generation of this stuff. But the fact it's, that the shuts, the the shutdown, the lockdown occurred all over the planet. You would yeah. think that, you know, out of a hundred people or a hundred governments, one of them would have stood out, or a couple. And granted, yeah, and you know, there's planning. Yeah, Texas, there's uh, South Dakota, but I mean, as a whole, you would expect that out of the 10 provinces, one of them probably should have said, wait a minute, let's just mm-hmm. step back a bit. Mm-hmm. I think they were bullied into it. I, well, it's I mean, a central right planning now, model. Yeah. yeah. Right. This is I, where globalism know, takes you. You know, let's, we can, we can say this now because I mean, it's the truth. Yeah. Um, Dina Henshaw was appointed not by Jason Kenney. No, she was appointed right. by Rachel Notley. Verna right. Yu, who was Verna Yu, who was who was fired. Okay. Um, she she was the head of Alberta of, of AHS Alberta Health Services, which was weaponized mm-hmm. as a health Gestapo. Okay. That 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 directed police to do things like what we saw in that video there that directed police to go out and hassle Chris Scott uh, at the Whistle Stop Cafe. Okay. Um, and these were completely inexperienced 
no no concept of law enforcement whatsoever and it actually came out in the james coates trial that they had no training their their training was a zoom call i asked her what what investigative training did you have I remember saying yeah, yeah a zoom call okay yeah i I've, I've learned things on zoom calls before but not how to how to conduct an investigation that resulted in the imprisonment of a pastor and and that that whole debacle that happened the lockdown of that of that church was happened because a woman who is trained as a social worker was given the power the absolute power of of law she was given like the thor hammer of law and that's what happens when you you know when you do that so so you know coming back to my point here you know these these lockdowns they were they chris is quite right they were part of a part of a of a broad agenda but it was all about not being able to be held accountable that's what it was and and that's why we didn't that's why they didn't use the the dave redmond plan they had it all there in place and if they had been been forced to be made accountable to albertans in a democratic way um we we wouldn't have been locked down for two years yeah it, it couldn't have happened in fact i don't think we would have been locked down at all somebody who you probably know Layton, and you've heard of carrie came into my restaurant about a week maybe a week and a half after i opened against the restrictions so this would have been just around the beginning of february maybe slightly in towards the end of january or something he came into my restaurant and i remember the place was packed but he was like uh when i walked in the room he was the center of attention not because he was doing anything but just because he had this presence you know you ever meet someone like that it's just you know they demand attention without demanding it so anyway i go up and i, I talk to this fella and he, he's kind of following me around the room and he invites me to come sit with him so i sat down with him and he said uh i can't go public about this but this is who i am this is my position mm -hmm. and i can tell i can tell you now because he's come up public it was gary davidson mm -hmm. gary davidson dr gary davidson was the manager of the er department in the hospital in red deer mm -hmm. and he had a conversation with me about a half an hour long he said it started off with great food and and then he went on to great say, food. <laughs> thank you he said don't stop what you're doing because this is all bullshit yeah. he said what's going on in the hospitals is complete bullshit uh it's not what they're saying it is it's treatable i found out later that he had actually been risking his career and doing house calls and treating people effectively people that uh, I think it was 60 or 80 or 90 people or something like that. Yeah. Never went to the hospital, all recovered fully, no long lasting health problems. He used early treatment that was widely available at the time and well known. Yeah. He told me, don't stop what you're doing because you're, you're doing the right thing. This isn't about health. I know it's not about health because I know what's going on. I found out that our government, uh, AHS, had this big idea that they were going to need all of the ventilators in the world. You remember that when Ford was making ventilators? Yeah. Um, and then doctors were using them wrong, even though other doctors were telling them not to do this and they were killing people with the ventilators. Yeah. I remember, maybe some people don't, but the Red Deer Hospital had something like 750 ventilators ordered. Now, I may be getting my number wrong. I mean, this is a long time ago that I was told this, but basically there was a whole room full of ventilators. They never used them. Mm -hmm. at least those ones they forgot they lost them they don't they didn't even know where they were when i was talking to gary the hospital had all of these ventilators and all this equipment millions and millions of dollars worth of supplies 
what they were told they're going to need, and they never used them. I got emails and pictures and videos of AHS warehouses with expired PCR tests, expired masks, relabeled, saying, oh, they're good for another year. We're just going to say they're good for another year. And it's my point is not that they had extended the expiry date because that happens all the time with products. That's, I mean, you can, you can do that. The point is they weren't being used because it wasn't what they said it was. And we've had so many examples of this. Could you imagine, could you imagine if there were four or five more doctors like Dr. Gary Davidson, Dr. Daniel Nagasi, Dr. Um, um, Hoff. Yeah. 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 Like, all, all of these guys, if they had done, if they had followed their advice yeah. and let them have a place at the table where they could share their opinion and their procedures or let them just be doctors and make decisions with their patients, none of this would have happened. None. Some people would have got sick. Uh, a lot of people would have got sick and would have been treated and probably saved. A lot of lives would be saved. Those doctors wouldn't have been publicly shamed and persecuted for going against the status quo. And we'd be in a better position as Albertans right now and as Canadians and across the globe. I agree. None of this had to happen. And you've tied it together, Leighton, what, uh, what we've been saying from the very beginning in our, you know, fumbling layman terms, we knew it felt wrong. Mm-hmm. We knew there was something wrong. It's not supposed to be like this. We could see the evidence over there, but we didn't know how to tie it together. And now you and other lawyers like you have done this in court, which is where it needs to happen. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. I, I'm so excited to see what this brings and and how the current government responds. Because our premier seems to be very receptive to the idea that maybe Alberta should have done something different. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And we've already had public declarations saying that the government was wrong for doing what they did. Now we're on the cusp of realizing the depths of how wrong they were and how many people it's affected. And man, I have a great quote here. You know, I love quotations. Yes. Uh, this is from a guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. So this is a guy, Alexander Solzhenitsyn was uh, a Russian guy. And he spent uh, many, many years of, of his life in the Gulag uh, in, in, in Siberia. He was, he was a brilliant writer, but he was against the Soviet system. Anyway, in the early 1970s, he, while, while he, was, he was in prison, he kept a journal uh, that you can, you can find and you should read if you can. It's in three volumes. It's very long. Uh, I read it in English. I think it was written in Russian. Though. Anyway, this thing made it out of Russia in about 1971-72. And the reason why I refer to this, Chris, is because up until that time, the Soviets were constantly saying how we in the West were decadent, and and they and how the communist system was so much better, and they produced you know better children and all these things. And uh, if you think of the '72 hockey series, you know they. These guys, you know, they were like supermen, and mm-hmm. we remember back in back in the Cold War. But anyway, this book that Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote it revealed the truth, the horrible truth about the Soviet Union was like. And we had a little bit of a taste of that for about two years of what the Soviet Union was like. And people like Archer Pavlovsky, they talk about this. Anyway, there's a great quotation here from this guy Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It goes like this, and I think it applies perfectly to what Chris was just saying. It says, we know they are lying. They know they are lying. They know that we know they oh, yeah. are lying. 
Yeah, we right. know that they know we know they are lying, and yet they still continue to lie. Wow. Yeah, that's right. I and, get why you know, people allow it. I, I understand. I'm I'm well aware why this happens because some of the things that just speaking from my own experiences, some of the things that I've been faced and the decisions I've, I've been faced with making are not comfortable decisions. They're scary. And other people in their right mind would have probably done what's the safest path. And I said this a few days ago uh, in front of a crowd, if, if I wanted to take a safe path and make my point when, when they, you know, when they went after my landlord lady, I was buying the place from the restaurant from, and it seemed like it was a hopeless cause. I could have just, I could have just exited gracefully. Yep. Said I tried my best, um, but I couldn't go any further. But instead, I, I threw all of my chips on the table. I took one look behind me at the shore, and I kept swimming, even though I didn't know how far it was to get to the other side. And I'm not saying this like to try and stoke my ego. I'm just saying this. This is how stupid I am at times, and how hard-headed I am but it just felt right it felt that's the right important and thing. and I know that that's not a normal thing to do that's not what people like to do so if the lies just continue coming to us it's so easy and comfortable just to say okay well you know I tried my best I'm just going to go with it they probably know what they're doing and get on with their lives and I'll be safe over here so you know there's I don't know. I don't even. I don't even know what to say about that. If it wasn't for um, people that were well versed in law and actually able to argue these things and be effective in a court, we have two options: either we get our rights trampled on, yeah. or we end up with having some sort of a, a a violent event, because that's really where people go. We either fix things peacefully, or we get pushed to the point where violence mm. starts and nobody wants to see any violence. So I'm so happy to hear that even actually this is right in the midst of the, the, the um, emergencies act Incredible. tribunal yeah. thing, right? Yeah. That there's some, there's some wins coming out here. Yes. And so all of those people who stood up for themselves against the mandates, against the restrictions, against what their governments were doing, yeah. they were doing the right thing. And now they're in court, or it's not even court. It's a what? What would you call that? How would you describe that? It's a, it's a. I would call it a, a It's called a quasi-judicial proceeding. In other words, um, and I can talk about the emergencies uh, about that inquiry if you like in more detail. <laughs> um, it is a legal proceeding, but it's a legal proceeding that's set up under the regulations, under the statute that the federal liberals drafted. And that's why, frankly, um, it, it, it's a shadow of what it should be, right? It's supposed to be a, a full-blown inquiry into what they did. But you see, when you can write the legislation, mm -hmm. you can also write the regulations which govern how the investigation is conducted. So imagine it's like this. Imagine you get to write the rules for Monopoly. Yeah. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't you make yourself... You know, the it, banker all the time? Wouldn't you write it so that instead of getting $200 when you pass go, you get $400? Wouldn't you write the rules so that every time <laughs> community chest, you get money? This is what they did. They rigged the rules. 
This is what federal liberals liberals do. This is the, the and I mean this is a this is a, a hard title to win, but this is the most corrupt government in the history of our country. No yeah. one's even close. They have the all time. They are the Wayne Gretzky yeah. of of corruption, and we're only we're only seeing what's on the surface. I mean, when we open it up. And we, we roll the log and we see the level of decrepitude of this government. It is going to be absolutely horrifying. It's criminal. They've done criminal things. Our, mm -hmm. our prime minister has three times broken the criminal law, violating mm -hmm. ethics. That, that That's never happened before. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, oh. and Chris, I just want to come back to something you said. Um, doing what you did, doing something hard when it's when it's scary uh you know that's called courage you know you you know you don't give yourself enough credit people like that's called courage m many 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 people would would not have done what you did mm -hmm. and people think people think courage is that you're not afraid no people who are courageous people who are brave they're afraid too mm -hmm. they just decide that they can't walk away from the burning building when they hear the screams they gotta go in and try and save the people in the building that's courage right courage is like the soldiers at vimy ridge or the you know the guys who went and stormed stormed the beaches at normandy courage is maybe just going into a supermarket and saying you know what i'm not gonna wear the mask today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of courage it doesn't have you don't have to be like superman yeah but but there are many albertans who showed courage and some of them were doctors you know we we paint these you know, I don't, I don't think it's fair that we paint the doctors and nurses, you know, kind of with the same brush. Many, many doctors and nurses stood up and were mm -hmm. brave and, and did the right thing. And and uh, hopefully we're going to get one of them is going to be our new chief medical officer of health. My honestly would be Dr. Eric Payne. He mm -hmm. was on my he was on my podcast recently and he just the guy's just off the charts. Brilliant. Yeah. He's only 40 years old. He's a graduate of Harvard um he's been at the mayo clinic and uh before these you know dina hinshaw did the number on him this guy devoted his life to discovering cures for childhood epilepsy mm -hmm. yeah. like, imagine having someone that's a that, superhuman. yeah that's a superhuman right yeah, yeah concerned with health right yeah health, not politics not appointed because they're you know rachel notley's uh um college buddy but actually concerned with the health of albertans that would be amazing yeah. Yeah. And here's another thing that would be very courageous. Um, I think it would be very courageous right now to have a really long, hard internal discussion with yourself and ask yourself if you are injecting yourself with something twice a year or three times a year that does not do what it's advertised to do. Are you doing the right thing? No. I just read another message from our friend Rocky, whose aunt um, mysteriously died post, what do they say, cupcake? And he, here's the, this is the, this is the curse part of this, um, like the position that I've been put in. Everybody knows who I am. They see me go on these shows with Carrie and you, Layton, and we're talking about this stuff. And we're saying things like, hey, we're going to help these people who have been harmed 
We're mm-hmm. going to help them get remedy by suing the bastards that are doing this. We're going to help. So then when I go to Home Depot, um, people run up to me and they share their stories with me. And I'm sure the same thing happens to you, Leighton. Like I, and you too, Carrie. I've, I've heard it happen. Yes. Yep. We hear stories three or four or five times a day or more if we're out and about about people who have been negatively affected, adversely affected, or who have lost family members or friends due to this ineffective injection that people are getting. And there's a lot of people out there that just say, oh yeah, you know, I've had four or five, six shots, whatever, and and I'm fine, so it's all good. No, it's not all good. Russian roulette. Yes, and you may be fine, but I, I really wish those people could just join me for a day on a walk through Red Deer or Edmonton or yeah. Calgary yeah. and hear the stories that I hear or hear the stories that you hear, Leighton, or you hear, Carrie. Like mm-hmm. the things we've heard in the last two years, what, what's happened to people. Yeah. Like there's no way anybody with any decent, any resemblance of humanity could turn their back on that. And it, it's it's really not going to stop until people start having the courage to say, you know what, there is something wrong here. I've kind of felt it for a long time, but it's more comfortable to go with the flow. But you know what? Enough is enough. Now I'm going to question it. That is also takes a lot of courage because yeah. people are going to lose friends over that. You know, they're going to lose family members over that, at least for a time until the truth comes out. I think we can probably even mention too that uh, next week we're interviewing uh, Dr. Peter McCullough again, and oh, uh, oh yeah, that's great, yep. And we're actually interviewing uh, Dr. William Mackis, which if you oh, haven't yeah. seen the two and a half hour video of that, uh, that's pretty eye opening as to what he's found out. Really, just uh, taking a sample section of just the doctors that have uh, passed away, and then extrapolating that—that's just. And then even this week, um, we had the Vax bus come through the whistle stop, and then I ended up going to the uh, uh, Justice for the um, Vaccinated uh, Tour, I guess, in Calgary. And uh, it's vaxjustice.org. And uh, I got to talk to Dr. Hoff and Dr. Malthouse and Carrie Simpson, and Eric Payne happened to go up and actually talk for probably 10 minutes there. And... um, yeah, that's that's a whole other episode all all to itself. But um, there's there's you know all this stuff is coming out. It is coming out. It may not be coming out as fast as we want, but mm-hmm. at this point, it it is coming out. Have you have you guys had Doctor Roger Hodgkinson on the program? Well, we yeah. know Roger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a few times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because uh, I've talked with him about about the about the risk. Yes. Uh, the heightened risk of the spike pro- proteins from the boosters. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, it might be interesting to have him on to, you know, to talk about that. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, he does talk about it quite a bit yeah. at uh, APP events. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's. He's pretty passionate about this stuff because he. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great impression that's good that's good though you know you need someone passionate like well that. sure you sure i mean you know i'm not i mean if that's your personality right yeah, yeah. you know absolutely um i'm more of a calm and when you when you when you start to understand some of the things that are going on um and you have that kind of intimate medical knowledge of how this stuff works yeah I imagine it would be very hard not to get fired up, you know, especially if you actually believed Mm -hmm. in helping people. 
fulfilling the, yeah. you know, your oath. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I'm not surprised that mm -hmm. men like him and, uh, um, you know, Charles Hoff and mm -hmm. Daniel Agassi, I'm not surprised that they're a little eccentric and emotional when they're speaking. Mm -hmm. They have every right to be. I, I get upset in a similar way when I read legal decisions of, of judges and arbitrators that I know are just making ridiculous, absurd, heinous uh, decisions that are clearly uh, political decisions, not proper legal ones, mm -hmm. right? Not proper legal ones like the one that was made, uh, you know, in the Timothy Stevens case or in the CM case, ones where um, what I can see, because if you if you read enough law, you can, you can see that that the that the judge is using what's called result-oriented reasoning. So result-oriented reasoning is where you make up your mind about something, and then you you tailor your analysis back in yeah. order to lead you to that result, right? And uh, that is not the way that is not the way proper legal reasoning is done. And I'm seeing this level of I will call it uh, judicial activism. The worst example is uh, from our chief judge, uh, Chief Justice Wagner of the Supreme Court of Canada, and mm -hmm. public comments that he has made repeatedly about the Freedom Convoy. Um, that's an example. I mean, how if, if cases ever go up to the Supreme Court of Canada involving the Freedom Convoy, um, our chief judge has already made up his mind. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's stated a, a position of public bias. In fact, a group of lawyers, you know, stuck their necks out and they reported him to the judicial council yeah. and uh, which is a, like a, a watchdog for judicial behavior. And they were basically told to, you know, go fly a kite. Wow. That's, that's fine though, Leighton. I'm sure, I'm sure he's very professional and can set aside his personal bias in order to, <laughs> to make a, a fair and equitable judgment. Mm -hmm. Is that how the lawyers say it? <laughs> sure, and and of course, uh, you know, and, and let's that he could just disabuse his mind of the fact that he, he lives in in Ottawa. Yeah, <laughs> lives and works in Ottawa. You know, so you know. Yeah. well, there's hope. There is hope because things are happening, and I know it's slow, and unfortunately, there's still harm being done. So that brings up another very important and very loaded question. Yes. Mm -hmm. What about the politicians and the College of Physicians, folks, who continue to push this narrative, even though it's like the information is right there at the tip of their fingers, they've been told, what about all these people in leadership positions and positions of power who are directing people to harm? Great question. You want to know what I think? Yes. Well, there was a there was an article that that came out in the United States, uh, an academic. I won't I won't say her name because I don't want to give her more publicity than she's already gotten. But she basically came out and said, you know what? Um, we just got to give everybody who is involved in all these lockdowns, everything, just give them a free pass, right? You guys heard about this? Amnesty? No. Yeah. Right. This amnesty. We got to give. We have to give an amnesty because you know. We just, we didn't know. We just we didn't, didn't know. know. Okay. And so what we got to do is you have to just put all, put all the COVID stuff behind us and just move on and give, give an amnesty. 
Well, no, that's wrong. Okay, but we have to have we have to have in Alberta and in Canada is we have to have full blown public inquiries. Yes, where people can come forward and tell their stories, yeah. where documents are produced, where lawyers who know how to question witnesses can question people and ask the right questions to get the right answers. Okay, and I'm, ta- I'm not talking about the you know, the kid glove stuff that our prime minister is going to go through and that uh, kangaroo court in, in Ottawa. I'm talking about being under oath and subject, subjected to cross-examination the way Dr. Hinshaw was. Yeah. And then once we gather all that evidence, then we're going to have to compile it into a report that will make recommendations. And among those recommendations will be whether certain individuals need to be held accountable perhaps even to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And because crimes were committed here, there there, there can be no healing. There can be no amnesty until after we've discovered the truth. Mm -hmm. Yet the amnesty, which the amnesty that she's talking about is just sweeping it under the rug and preventing, just pretending it didn't happen. we, We might be able to have a healing might be able to have an amnesty for some but not until we know all of the facts and not until certain people and we can name them are held accountable and i would say dr dr dina hinshaw and the and the chief and dr bonnie henry and dr tam and all the chief medical officers of health in in canada are high on that list you know and dr fauci is another one and that you know the head of the cdc another one uh, uh, mr burla of pfizer and there's a long list of people who need to be held accountable or i think need to be prosecuted mm-hmm. um and so that's you know that's what i think needs to happen going forward i think that's the next phase yeah uh you know and because the, the only way we're going to be able to heal as a as a you know, as a province or as a country mm-hmm. as a society um is if we we if the, the is if the full truth is revealed like chris is right stuff is coming out mm-hmm. but i don't i think we've only seen we're we're staring at the part of the iceberg that's above the water yeah right now well you had mentioned you know the emergency act inquiry that's going on is probably heavily in in uh, trudeau's favor if you want to call it that yeah. right but yeah. just the other day, of course, Preston Manning announced a national citizens inquiry. Yes. Oh, right. I think I've talked about that on your show last time. Yeah. I was here. Yeah. yeah. So I think, and I wasn't here. <laughs> we missed you. We missed you. I mentioned you. Yeah, oh, very good. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, it's all going to come out eventually. And you know, is it going to come out next week? Is it going to come out two years from now? That's the thing. Well, it's coming out in dribs and drabs, but yeah. you know, we people deserve a full a full disclosure. Here's um here's here's an excerpt from that from that report I was telling you about. She writes, "Covid totalitarians." Uh, she she says that that their predictions were uncertain and complicated, but the truth is they were so certain of their false claims that they sent police to record the license plates of people who attended church on Easter. 
which mm -hmm. is a constitutional human right they shut down schools while keeping abortion facilities and marijuana dispensaries open they're yeah. so sure of their moral righteousness that they seemingly gleefully threaten people's ability to feed their kids if they didn't take an experimental injection for a disease that may have posed little risk to them and the vaccine mandates led to dangerous uh, vaccine mandates and i can tell you guys i mean i i have thousands of clients yeah. who are still out of work they lost their jobs trying to feed their families. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they can't even afford to hire a lawyer. I mean, who can with what those guys charge? The bloodsuckers. They're <laughs> 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 growing. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm happy that I don't have to pay my legal bills because, yeah, lawyers are expensive, but I that's, think... what mothers, that's what mothers are for, Chris. Everything froze up on my end. I thought you hung up on me when I said lawyers. <laughs> but I, I will say good work deserves to be rewarded. And uh, I even say this about our politicians, believe it or not. I'm not particularly anti-government. I'm anti-shitty government. Yeah. I've even said, yeah. if our MLAs who are running a multi-billion-dollar like, corporation, which is Alberta, if they're doing a good job, they should be making more than $170,000 a year. That's mm -hmm. a pittance. Yeah. I mean, a roughneck makes $150,000 a year right now. And yet, those men and women who are... Well, I mean... <laughs> They don't deserve much in the last few years, but the ones who generally run the province make about as much as a middle-of-the-road oil field worker. Mm -hmm. I think they should be paid more. I think if they're doing good, if they're doing a good job, good work should be rewarded. And actually, you know what? Maybe then we'd be attracting people who um, could do a better job of it's administration yeah. and bureaucracy than the ones we have. But anyway, that's just my personal opinion. Most people won't agree on me because they think the politicians are bloodsuckers, but yeah, yeah. whatever. It's a multi-billion dollar corporation. Anyway, um, we've been on for one hour and 22 minutes. So this wow. hour has another 22 minutes apparently. Yeah. But I wanted to just quickly touch on this public inquiry. Um, I mentioned earlier on today that Carrie and I, even though I haven't talked to Carrie about this at all, would be more than happy to participate in this in any way we can. Yeah. So Carrie, just so you know, I've said that you felt that way. Totally. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what's, what's happening with that? Like, where is that at? Do you know what the next steps are? Layton? Yeah, they made, they've made the announcement and uh, they've got a plan to, um, to, to commission the inquiry. Part of it is they're going to have to uh, people that, that they're going to have to assign people, hire people who are going to be involved in it. Um, it's going to be a massive evidence gathering uh, process. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so the first phase is going to be uh, to, to actually set up, you know, who's going to be involved with conducting the inquiry. And then from there, uh, what's going to happen is, is they're going to have to actually conduct, you know, live hearings um some of these will may be done through virtual platforms uh some of them may be done through in-person hearings um but it, there's a there's a really extensive evidence gathering uh process 
And then once that evidence is gathered, um, then they're going to look at uh, they're going to look at it through the lens of 16 key questions surrounding uh, how governments in Canada handled the COVID-19 pandemic. So these are going to be questions like, um, should we have shut down schools? Yeah. Should, should kids have been forced to wear masks? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, were the what about the vaccines? You know, was a vaccine mandate was that appropriate? So all these 16 questions that people just sat down and thought about them, they could probably write them all down. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and then after that, uh, you know, what is going to be developed is um, a, a, a report, an extensive report that'll make recommendations. But in terms of opportunity to report on this, I think this is a great initiative because uh, the mass media is completely ignoring it. Mm -hmm. Mass media is completely ignoring it. Preston Manning made this announcement yesterday on platforms that people like you and I watch. But That's right, exactly. Yeah. CTV and CBC completely ignored it. Uh, so we need to get the word out of this inquiry so people are aware of it because it's asking uh, everyday people, any Canadian, who will, any person who wants to be involved to testify mm -hmm. in, the, in the COVID inquiry yeah. about about what how it affected them can do it. There's, you don't have to qualify. You, you know, if you've got a story to tell that you think is important, you can come forward and tell it. Yeah. I, I testified in the one that was held in June. They did a bit of a dry run. Mm -hmm. um, it's possible that I'm going to be involved in in this next phase, either as a witness or as one of the people who's asking the questions. Um, but I certainly can try to connect the dots. Um, perhaps try and connect you with Preston Manning, mm -hmm. um, who I had on my podcast just a wonderful man brilliant man mm -hmm. and um so it's very promising it's it's sad and it's sad that um we have to fund a, a a an inquiry like this privately because our governments are too corrupt to do right. it in, in times past you know we would have pu true public inquiries where the government would set up a commitment uh sometimes to invest to investigate its own behavior yeah um and well, we can uh, we ask can our we can ask our premier if if her government would do that. Well, our mutual friend Mr. Rath has been advocating for this, um, mm -hmm. and I think he has uh, he has the right he has the right idea. Um, I think it's something that's absolutely necessary. It has to happen. You know, the, the the people of Alberta deserve it. Do you know the process that would actually happen? Would people just log in and write their story down and then get a reply back or like what would be the process do you think there there is uh there is a web page that they have i think if you google uh the covid commission okay uh it'll pop up and there is a process whereby um you can you can log in and and uh, uh you can you can submit your name and your story uh as part of the process um but uh you know i i think it's it's very it's very inclusive right um and that's part of the it, it is a true public inquiry you know because we we also we need to document these stories it's important that we document these stories in real time you know because uh i think ultimately when we look when we cast our eyes back onto this period in our history i think this is going to be described as a disaster mm -hmm. i think it's going to be designed it's going to be looked at in terms of a catastrophic uh, situation and so yeah. we need to document these stories for posterity so that this never happens again yeah. 
Well, uh, if we don't know our history, we're doomed to repeat it. And apparently, it doesn't even matter if we know our history. We do the same things over and over and over again as a society anyway. So I don't even want to say about that. Anyway, I'll just clarify. I'll clarify really quickly here. What Leighton is talking about, this uh, public inquiry into the COVID response is much, much different than the inquiry into uh, the government's use of the emergencies act. That's right. Two completely yeah. different things. Yeah. One is a kangaroo court. Uh, one is the people saying, what the hell happened? Why yeah. did you do this? And we want answers. That's yeah. It's different. Mm-hmm. Different thing. So um, if you or anybody you know wants to get involved, or how, how should I put this? If you want to support the work that Layton's doing with the uh, class action lawsuit against Pfizer for vaccine harms, for instance, mm-hmm. um, Carrie, do we have anything up on the WS Full Steam Ahead page on that we yet? Just have, we just have a press release right now. That's it. Okay. So head on over there, read the press release, see what we're doing, and be prepared to help when the time comes. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be working with Layton in order to do, I guess, whatever we can to help facilitate things as they come up. Uh, We're also going to help with fundraising because I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this stuff is very expensive. Mm -hmm. And we're going to continue to work with uh, people with Leighton and people like Leighton who are pursuing these, um, uh, what do you call it? These opportunities to ask questions and get answers and get the truth out there. That's what we want. And we want, uh, we're starting to see what the truth looks like. And that's going to go even further in looking for a remedy for the people that have been affected by this. But it's all a lot of hard work and it's going to take a lot of time and it's not a fast process. Mm-hmm. So thank you all very much for, um, you know, staying involved and staying engaged and keeping up with what's going on and supporting us through this. Mm-hmm. If we weren't, if you weren't doing that, we wouldn't be able to do this. And, you know, we'd all be just marching to get our eight shots a month and um, owning nothing and being happy while dead. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, have you got anything else, Slayton or Carrie? Did we miss anything? Oh, there's a thousand and one things to talk about, but <laughs> oh, was it the um the uh, this person keeps on commenting, and every time I read the comment, I read it in Stewie Griffin's voice, <laughs> and I can't help it. Basically, they asked Leighton, they asked you a question before something about two different judges and two different. Uh, attorneys for the crown or blah, blah, whatever. I'm think, pretty sure they're implying that there's some weird nefarious thing going on in the court where they're tricking us and we have to say some magic words and the judge dresses different and comes in and treats us different. I don't know. But anyway, mm-hmm. they keep on saying, hey, Laura, you didn't answer my question, eh? <laughs> and like, every time I do a bad Stewie Griffin impersonation, but that's what I'm hearing every time I read it. So I I chuckle. That's why I'm chuckling. It's not because what you said was funny, but well, maybe it was. Stewie, yes. Well, there are some some questions that just have to remain shrouded in mystery. I guess so. <laughs> is there is that a big mystery, Leighton? Are the courts a weird, corrupt place where everything's a secret and we're just all pawns in a big chess chessboard? Um. Uh, I don't believe that that is true. I think okay. that our courts are mostly populated by really good people, hardworking people trying to do a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but there there are there are some that I, I question their objectivity. I, I question whether they they are uh, you know part of or beholden to you know the the government uh, narrative. You know the courts. One thing I will say, you know, the courts um, were one of the last places in Alberta to remove the restrictions. Even after the government of Alberta removed all the restrictions, they was they were still in place in courts. And in fact, judges today, there's a, if a judge today wanted to require people to mask in their court, they could still do it. So, you know, I'm just saying, you know, there are there are some, you know, some people, some some judges who really still subscribe to the group think narrative there's no question about it i think but there are some good judges judge fradge improved it justice dunlop and i happen to believe that uh, our courts are still a, a place um they're still a great leveler they still do good work mm -hmm. and we've we've got to i mean we've got to believe in that and if we go to court and we lose that puts the onus on on the lawyers, we've got to do a better job. We got to argue better. We got to prepare better. We got to better facts, you know, and um, and we're learning and we're growing and we are getting better. And and that I believe that's why the results are starting to come. So basically, you know, the courts are populated by humans, and humans yeah. are not infallible, and uh, we just do yeah. the best we can. That's it. Well put. All right. Well, that's all I have for tonight. I'm very tired and I have to get up in exactly one hour and 20 minutes. I so was I just going to say that. Wow. <laughs> well, so thanks, you, guys. It's been well, a real pleasure, as always, being on your program. Excellent. Yeah, thanks, Layton. Uh, there was a question. If anybody wants info on the Pfizer stuff, can they find it anywhere? Uh, are, are, are you talking about, like, the Pfizer dump? No, you're... you're um, can they contact you? Or they, oh uh, yeah, yeah. They can contact us at the uh, at the firm. Uh, probably the best person. Yeah, they can they can email me or they can contact us and we'll provide them with information for sure. I think. And where where would they if they were going to email? What would the email be that they should be using? Um, we have the the lady who works with me. Her name is Megan. Uh, so it would be. You know what? Uh, I, I don't want to misspeak. What I'm going to do, Chris, is I'm yeah. going to send you, I'm going to send you the intake email because it may be the wrong one. Yeah. Okay. Sure. And likewise, you might want to set up an email specifically for that, right? Well, so, we were talking. I know we were talking about that today. That setting up a, a special yeah. website for yeah. for the case is a wonderful yeah, idea. Or something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So besides that, I would say if you want information as to updates or anything that's going on with that. Check the wsfullsteamahead.org website. We will put stuff up as we get it. Yep. Um, you can also keep staying tuned in to our live streams because we will often be talking about these things and giving updates as they come. And uh, know that we are working on some more formal things so that there's a central repository for uh, questions, answers, people, connections, that kind of thing. So it is coming, but it does take time. So please be patient. And that's all I got. Excellent. Okay. Good. Thanks okay. a lot. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. It's been a Thanks, pleasure. Thanks. Good idea. Okay. See you soon. Okay. Bye bye. And Chris, don't disappear. Oh, okay. Because we have to talk about tomorrow, which will almost be like, are you still here? Or am I just going to talk? <laughs> <laughs> Jerk.
Um, so the plan right now is we're actually running a convoy to the Lethbridge courthouse. And I shouldn't say we are, there's a, there's a group of people that are, and uh, maybe they want to remain nameless, but essentially there is a convoy running from Edmonton to Red Deer, from Red Deer to Calgary. And, and that's really all I know that apart is, uh, is the what's happening in, in Calgary. And it's leaving from the flying J at five o'clock in the morning, flying J by Deerfoot casino down South. And then it is slow rolling, which will actually probably be normal rolling just because of the way the highways are right now to Fort McLeod. And they are going to the red, I want to say red carpet in. Does that make sense? It's red something in. I have it saved. And someone's probably going to correct me before I even get to it. But I will tell you the red coat in, in, uh, in Fort McLeod and they will be leaving there at 7.15 and then going right to the Lethbridge Courthouse. And if it's anything like it was last time, they will probably be doing circles around it because we may not be able to get close to it. And of course, this is all in response to the, uh, the gentlemen who are being held in, um, in, in court uh, and in jail, really. But I mean, for the most part, this part here deals with the actual court proceedings that's going to happen with um, Alex, Marco, and George. Um, but it also, and that's a provincial matter, and that, of course, also relates to the Chris, Chris, um, Jerry, and, um, and um, uh, I hate when I do that. I should know all these names. Chris, help me out here. Chris, Chris, Anthony, Jerry, Anthony. Anthony. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, there you go. Tony Anthony. My apologies. I should know these things off the top of my head, but essentially that's what we're going down for. We're doing a convoy uh, to, to get awareness out of what's going on and um, to help out the families. And there will be a barbecue fundraiser right after that uh, in the afternoon. Uh, it may start at noon. I'm not quite sure, but in the afternoon. And uh, so if you're able to join us, that would be amazing. We would be awesome to have a few thousand people there. Uh, and I believe Chris's truck is all fixed up. Is it fixed up or at least to the point mostly. where mostly, it's mostly fixed up, moistly fixed. It's moistly fixed. So the plan is, is that you are going to be driving down in the picker truck. And I guess I'm going to meet you somewhere. I'll meet you at the flying J or something. We'll figure that out. Sure. Like in six. Flying J. Yeah. That's like right away. Yeah. Yeah. I know. You know what? I can't find our, uh, Canadian convoy song anywhere. Oh, well, I'm I might be able to pull that thing off. I'm not sure. Let's see. Let's go to. Uh, can I? How do I? How do I do this with? Uh, Everybody this? always tells me I look so exhausted. Chris, you look so tired. Chris, you, you look so exhausted. Really, look, what they're saying is, Chris, you look like a bag of smashed assholes. What's wrong with you? Sorry, is it late Chris. enough to say that? Uh, yeah, I am pretty tired, actually. You way. know what? I can't even find it on Rumble because that's where I was. Uh, maybe they've gotten rid of it. No, I'm pretty sure it's on there.
But if you can't find it immediately, I know. Well, you changed you changed the software that we're using for this stuff, so I I don't have. Yeah, it. I actually have it on the other. Uh, I've got it on the other. It's uploaded into videos and restream, but not on this one. And yeah. even when I search Facebook, I can't find it. Let me see if I can do one quick we, search. We put it on YouTube, didn't we? No, it's on uh, Rumble. Oh, it, that's, that's why listed, I couldn't find it. It was just listed as Canadian Convoy. Um, and... Oh, you know what? I've got it. I don't have a Rumble account anymore because I may have possibly changed my credit card and didn't update the number in Rumble and then just ignored the multiple warnings. So I don't now, think I have a Rumble I, account anymore. How do I do this? Can I drop it? Let's see. Let me just put it in my downloads folder. Excuse me, people, while I try and do my stuff. Oh, found it. Oh. No, did I didn't you? find it. Ah. Did you drop it like it's hot? I did. Oh. There you go. It's coming. It's coming at you. Oh, of course, now i got to find the thing because it's not by date. Uh, ready? I don't know how fast this thing uploads or anything like that. It just takes so long. Why isn't anything just instantaneous anymore? Remember dial-up? <laughs> Did that sound like a 24... Hundred or a fourteen four? That was definitely a fourteen. Uh, yes, it wasn't a fifty six. You know what? I'm totally dating myself. I'm actually looking at it on the Rumble page, right. and it won't play. Well, and I'm just trying to. Uh, so, how do I get this to play here? We're losing people. They're they're oh, dying. Yeah. They're, they're definitely just dropping dying. like they're dropping I, like crickets. How do I? <laughs> Whatever. I'm gonna play this song, even if I have to pay my freaking Rumble bill. Well, my I just uploaded it into this behind the scenes sort of thing, but I can't play it. It won't let me play. Do you have to? Do you have to? Uh, do you have to approve it? Oh, I have to do it.
And ain't no roadblock gonna stop us And we line up ball to ball Yeah, them supporters are thick as bugs on a bumper And we got crowds to cheer I say calling on trucks, this is where we're stuck And we're about to fight for freedom right here Cause we got us a Canadian convoy We're rocking through the night We got us a Canadian convoy Can't see a beautiful sign Come and join our Canadian convoy Ain't nothing getting in our way Come on and join our Canadian convoy Even though something you gonna say Son of a bitch and give us back our freedom. Cause they got us a Canadian convoy, we're rocking to the 